I want to read portions of a poem by Scott Cairns. It's called Yahweh's Image. And Yahweh sat in the dust, bone-weary after days of strenuous making, during which he, now and again, would pause to consider the way things were shaping up. Time also would pause upon these strange durations. It would lean back on its haunches, close its marble eyes, appear to doze. But then Yahweh himself finally sat on the dewy lawn, the first stage of his work all but finished. He took in a great breath laced with all lush odors of creation. It made him almost giddy. As he exhaled, a sigh and sweet mist spread out from him, settling over the earth. Then Yahweh lay back, running his hands over the damp grasses, and in deep contemplation reached into the soil, lifting great handsful of trembling clay to his lips, which parted to avail another breath. With this clay, he began to coat his shins, cover his thighs, his chest. He continued this layering, and when he had been wholly interred, he parted the clay at his side and retreated from it, leaving the image of himself to wander in what remained of that early morning mist. Our scripture from Genesis. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. I was thinking about my life and realized that I've always lived close to the earth. My earliest memories of life when I was just a little boy um, were when we lived in Palembang, Indonesia. And I was just a few years old and I remember sitting in uh, the dirt road, playing in, in the dust of the road and the rocks of the road with, with the other neighborhood kids. I remember I would go into the, to the kitchen and, and get a sharp knife uh, to meet up with my friends. Um, I, I remember once, I don't know, it was this British woman and I think she was our neighbor and I think she was babysitting or just keeping an eye on me or something. Uh, she she looked like a nun, uh, but also kind of looked like a wrestler. And she saw me with this knife. I mean, I was only five years old. And she's like, you can't have that knife. You you give me that knife. <laughs> and I started running from her. And she was chasing me around in the front yard trying to get this knife. Well, she caught me. And she grabbed me by the ear and almost twisted it off. So except for that time, I, I was allowed to... To, to take a knife and, and go with my friends down this forest road to where the rubber trees were. And we would take our knives and we would, we would make a cut in the bark of the rubber tree. And in no time, it would just start to ooze its sap. 
and we would put the sap of the rubber tree uh, on our palms and wait till they dried and then we then we would ball them up and eventually with this process we would have these awesome like bouncy rubber balls uh, that we would play with in Yancey County Mr. Bodford was a, a member of one of my dad's churches and he had a he like seemed like he owned the side of a mountain and he had all this garden space and uh, we have pictures of him he'd be out there plowing his field with with a mule and old plow and he would always be in his black suit and black tie he'd have one of those cool um, black hats always chewing tobacco so there'd be spittle staining his his chin and, and his shirt well he, he gave my dad some gardening space because there wasn't a place at the parsonage for us to have a garden. And I remember going out on Saturdays and just being in the dirt and planting things with my dad. And I remember on one occasion, Mrs. Bodford cooked a groundhog for our lunch. Like we were really close to the earth. And in Cherokee, my dad was uh, the keeper of rabbits and the keeper of bees. And the rabbits uh, would make their way to our, our Sunday uh, Sunday dinner table. The honey would make it to my mom's homemade biscuits. Oh, those biscuits. In the summertime, I would walk barefooted uh, through the dirt to my dad's tomato plants. Uh, the, the thought of a tomato biscuit today, like, to me... Uh, a tomato biscuit is a sign that that God is is close. Now, I know that you live close to the earth too. You have your stories to tell. It might be that the the dirt under your fingernails is from your flower garden, or maybe you don't have any dirt on your hands at all because you've always got them in the stream holding that trout that you've just caught, or. Your, your, your shoes are, are dusty because you climb mountains and you chase waterfalls and you notice the bees and the birds along the way. We are earth keepers. We're made that way. We're created for it. God created us to care for the things that matter. And you know, these days, when we think about this this the scripture text where God has made us and put us in the garden to till it and to keep it, that we're responsible for it. Uh, it can be kind of discouraging. Like, I don't need to tell you that earth is in trouble. Our relationships with each other are broken. There's a lot of, of brokenness. Our communities seem so divided and it's heartbreaking. It's discouraging. And the political world, I mean, it's a mess. Anytime I look in that direction, I just want to run away screaming. And uh, globally, war is raging, and it kind of always has. And you know, war is, is hell. War uh, destroys everything. And we look to the church, and when we look to, to our United Methodist Church, we also see that our relationships are broken. Uh, we're, we're splintering. I don't need to tell you um, that our relationship with the earth is also broken. In October of 2018, the 
United Nations panel on, on climate change issued a, a dire warning uh, that, that our earth was, was uh, facing an ecological disaster unless we wake up to it, unless we become aware and fully understand and know the damage that we're causing. Now, our, our passage from Hosea, from, from the prophet Hosea, uh, it's, it's also uh, a, a warning. Where are you, Hosea? There you are. Uh, it's a, a word of warning, um, but also a, a word of judgment. God is accusing Israel. Uh, Hosea 4, verse 1, Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel, for the Lord has an indictment on the inhabitants of the land. And there are three things that are mentioned here. And the first one is there's, there's no faithfulness. Well, to be faithful means to be reliable. To be faithful means to be trustworthy. And when we take that all the way back to the beginning, we realize that God has entrusted us. We're the keepers of things. And so there's no faithfulness in the land of Israel. There's, there's no trust when it comes to that. And, and the second thing uh, is there's no loyalty. Well, well, some people translate that word hesed um, uh, as kindness. And when you take the Hebrew word hesed, like when, when we're using that word to, to talk about God, it, it's really in reference to, to God's steadfast love. When we use that word to refer to us, Hesed is to, to show love and loyalty to God, but also to, to show Hesed is to show love and loyalty to, to each other, uh, to, to our human relationships. And so this, this judgment that uh, Hosea is, is uh, revealing against Israel um, is that there is no Hesed. There is no uh, loyalty or, or kindness uh, or, or faithfulness, that, that there's uh, only murder and, and stealing and lying and, and adultery and, and bloodshed that just follows bloodshed. And then the third thing is, there's no knowledge of God in the land. There's no knowledge of God. We don't know God. What's, what's fascinating about this passage is that this brokenness, our, our brokenness in our relationship with God and our brokenness with all these awful things in our relationship with each other, that it has a, a direct impact on creation. I want to read to you what um, scholar James Lindbergh says. He says, and this is, this is what we find in verse 3. He says, the punishment which is announced in verse 3 is described in terms of an ecological crisis that threatens not only humans, but all life on earth. And remember verse 3, Therefore the land mourns, because of all these things, the land mourns, and all who live in it languish, together with the wild animals and the birds of the air, even the fish of the sea are perishing. Lindbergh continues, The text contains an important insight 
The roots of this ecological crisis are to be found in the same attitudes of arrogance, irreverence, selfishness, and greed, which express themselves in the failure to acknowledge God or to care for the neighbor. And so in the same way that we become separated from each other, we can become divorced from creation. So the, the prophet's fiery proclamation, not just Hosea, but, but all of the prophets, they, uh, they include judgment on whatever thing that is wrong, uh, but they also uh, in, include solution. So Isaiah will say, incline your ear, come to me. Listen, and your soul shall live. Listening to God, hearing the word of the Lord, uh, is often the, the, the solution that's given, uh, the word that's to be received and, and to be taken. So just on the next page in, in Hosea, um, God is restoring this, this broken relationship. And he says, I will make for you a covenant on that day with the wild animals, the birds of the air, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make, I will make you lie down in, in safety. And he says, I will take you for myself uh, in, in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will take you for myself and you shall know the Lord. That's God's promise. But then listen to this. He says, on that day, I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. They should, shall answer Jezreel. The prophets beckon us to listen. God longs for us to listen because God has something to say. God says, I have an answer. One of Jesus' most repeated phrases in the New Testament is, let, uh, let, let the person with ears to hear uh, listen. So, the word of the Lord, this particular word of the Lord, is still relevant for us today. When, when we don't listen to each other's stories, then our relationships remain broken. When we don't listen to the, the, the stories of creation, and they're there, when we don't hear them, we stay in this complete disconnect and we can live in our own little worlds and, and not have any idea what's going on. Like, so for example, you can ask a child, do you know where your milk comes from or your orange juice um, and, and, or, or your water? And, and they're like, well, yes, I know where it comes from. It comes from the grocery store and my water comes from the spigot. I was like, okay, well, uh, I wonder what the cow has to say about that. Don't you know that your milk comes from the cow? What does the, the orange grove have to say? What is the spigot saying to me? When we first moved into the parsonage, I noticed that there was a, in the toilet bowl, um, there, there would be kind of a, a, a black ring, uh, the residue kind of thing that, that, would, that would be there. And I'm the guy who cleans the bathrooms in our house. And so, uh, I, I, cl I cleaned it and scrubbed it. It was perfectly clean. 
The next day, there it was again. And so I became concerned. There's something in the water. Like there's, there's something that we're drinking probably that's not good for us. And so I call the water people and the, the Waynesville water guys came to the house and they, they did all this testing. And they're like, your water's fine. Well, I was curious. And so they, they gave me an, an education in the water. And they told me, you know, you're pretty close to the watershed. And as the water that comes by this house and what's coming out of your spigot right here, he says, it's more pure than the bottled water that you that you buy in the store. And he started giving me this education about, you know, the 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 EPA or the you know the, all the federal things and, and the uh, stuff. There's a story to tell there. And, and when I ask the broccoli in my stir fry or the, the tomato that's in my biscuit, if, if I say, where are you from, little tomato? Are you from Haywood County? Or are you from California? I need to ask it, like, how does your garden grow? Because it matters. It matters what your farmer is doing with your soil. It matters what your farmer is doing to, to deal with the bugs and, and the insects. And when I turn on my light switch, or when I, when I power up my phone, or when I go over there to the thermostat to, to warm up my office, am I ever curious about how all of that magic happens? Like, do I know the story that they tell. Do I know that almost half of the electricity in America uh, comes from burning coal? Do I know that story? And, and if I do hear that story, then I begin to learn that entire ecosystems are impacted by that one thing. And every day, I turn on my lights, and I power up my phone, and I check the thermostat. And I can be totally disconnected to the impact that it's having on the planet and on the people on this planet. So for Earth Day, I'm reading this book by Ray Stevenson, and it's entitled Celtic Christianity and Climate Crisis, 12 Keys for the Future of the Church. Now, Ray Simpson is an, is an Anglican priest. Uh, he lives on, the, on Holy Island and, and Lindisfarne. Um, and he believes that God is at the heart of creation, uh, calling us to heal it. And he's formed um, these kind of monastic communities, um, Aiden and the community of Aden and Hild. And one of the marks of their order or of their, of their life together um, is, is to treat creation as a sacrament, to let God speak through creation. And the Celtic way of, of life is, is learning how to truly listen. And this is what, uh, this is what uh, Ray Simpson says. I think to begin to listen, we have to learn to be still. I think we have to listen to the rhythms of our own body and soul. I think we have to listen to what a sick world is saying to us and to have respect for that which is of God in the person in front of us this very minute. It's being mindful, it's being present, and it's listening. Now, 
the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. These are exciting days for me. We've had a baptism uh, the last two Sundays. We have a baptism today in our awakening service. We're having a, another baptism uh, next Sunday. And this is important for us because in the sacrament of baptism, it's not just about this beautiful creature that God has made uh, who is coming under the water. If it's a baby, uh, we're reminded um, of God's deep love for us. Not only did, did God create us so uniquely and that we have this uh, specific mark on this world to make, um, but God's love embraces us. God loves us before we even know that God loves us. And we as a community, as, as we surround those being baptized, we're making this commitment to be keepers. We are earth keepers. We love each other and we keep each other close and we listen. We get to the table and we hear each other's stories. Uh, we listen to uh, creation. We are the keepers of the things that matter. And my prayer for us is that God will help us. Amen.